That's my buddy right on the back. Scared the guy. Mm-hmm. Which all they equated to for me for the rest of the time that I knew and worked with him was we was the craziest, and it was something to laugh about. He was never sure. Back. Right. That was it. <clears throat> right. That, that opportunity came and gone. Yep. Which makes me think about so so this is something I've been aiming good pastors here, so I'm not picking on pastor for sure. But I've been meaning to ask him and Brother James because I want to know this, and I I want to know if that's how it has to be. But I I feel like this hurts us in our especially our Pentecostal times. Sure. We have this mindset. It seems like keep speaking up, brother. Okay, it seems like that we have the mindset that especially if someone preaches to the lost, or if there is lost people there, we've got to all stand in our pews, and everybody's got to bow their head, and the preacher's going to ask you if you need help, if you, you know, raise your hands. And, like, we have to go through all this before we can come to the altar. It's almost like as if everybody needs to see you're the one, you know, and we're going to make a spectacle out of you. Right. Is that, I, I understand repentance, I understand confessing your sins, but, man, I, I have a problem with that. Like, to me, we should make it conducive and easy for them to come. I've been to some churches where they didn't make it. Yeah, we all knew there was someone there that needed to pray, but they didn't make it. Make them a spectacle. Right. You know, they would say something like, hey, man, we, you've got issues, you've got problems, we've got people up here that love to pray with you. And they, they made it to where... He wasn't the spectacle. Sure. Like, I'm wondering, are there some things like that we can change? I mean, we're mostly from one church, but but it's bothering me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone did come, how do we make it conducive to where, I, I mean, I've been in churches where I felt like it was. Sure. You know? But our our type, our, I'm picking on us because I know us, mm-hmm. our type, you know, we tend to all stand around like vultures and look and see, and then once somebody breaks... You know, we got this big pile on, yeah. and, and it makes a spectacle. And I feel like sometimes that's. What's your thought? Is that necessary? I mean, do you, is, do you have to do that? Do you have to raise your hand? Yes, it's me. You know, or or I mean, could a preacher give an altar call and say, "Man, we've got people who'd love to help you. We'd love to pray with you." I add to this question. Go ahead. <coughs> you know, growing up in church, I always felt like. If a, a preacher was centered on someone and everybody else knew it, and they didn't want to come to the altar by themselves, that that was that was wrong for them to feel that way to come solo. Like you have to come solo, and if you feel like you can't, that, that there's something wrong with you. Yeah, you know, I tell that's where I'm. Yeah, I appreciate. That. I, I at times I've almost felt like that the preacher hurt me or put me in a box because eventually I came to the point where I'm not going to do it. Sure. You know, five minutes ago when the spirit was moving, if there would have been a general call, I'd have beat you all there. But now, yeah. and now that and that probably is wrong, that makes me feel wrong, but unless it comes from leadership or from, from whoever's preaching it, how do we make it conducive for there to be new birth? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And, man, there, there's so much to it. I could talk on this the rest of the night, probably. But let me just give some highlights. 
of course, I have the incredible privilege of going to all kinds of churches, different sizes, different backgrounds, different styles. Uh, it it's a lack of teaching, and it is it is a choosing oftentimes over many, 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 many years, periods of time of developing the wrong fellowship also. And there's another component, which is in our groups, more than almost any other group, it's funny, about anything that's majorly Pentecostal, UPC, uh, Oneness Churches, um, uh, Independent Free Holiness, uh, Pentecostal Holiness, anything that's really strong Pentecostal, we are some of the only Christians on the planet that that basically we have a set way that we get saved. And you have to get saved in a way that it kind of looks and sounds and feels and acts a lot like how we got saved. Or we can't really absorb it. We can't really comprehend that. That is a lack of teaching from our ministers. Our pastors, preachers, ministers, evangelists, uh, teachers across the board have had millions of hours over the last several decades to have taught that better, and they just haven't. But part of that is because there's such a political prowess on being in our little groups that if you teach something that is different than our little groups, then you lose your political prowess in that group. And there's such a hunger to to gain or maintain that political prowess. So to do that is... The crazy thing is, 80% of all the people that go to all these churches are just like you. They know better. But we just all just keep sitting through it. So if if we would teach that, hey, by the way, a few million people have gotten saved not the way we did over the last several hundred years, and they're going to heaven too, <laughs> and 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 we get to choose... Are we here to receive anybody that Jesus decides to save? Any way that Jesus decides to save them? Or are we going to choose that we will take the ones that get it, understand it, and are willing to do it the way we want it done? And every church has the right to make that choice. You're going to be a lot smaller, and I feel like there's a a greater fear of veering off and getting cultic and ungodly about things if you make that choice that everybody needs to do it our way. If if it's taught, not just preached and yelled at, and not just we'll do it different and everybody will learn to accept it, but taught that, you know, in the Bible, some people got saved crying, some people got saved long prayers, some people got saved just by a word, some people got saved, and and I've seen it, and a lot of you have seen it. You know, I I I was at a revival in Ohio a few years ago where a whole bunch of heroin addicts got saved by screaming and crying and pulling their hair, and everybody just patting on them and shaking them and screaming at them, and they'd roll on the ground, and the devil would come out, and and then they would get saved. Exactly that about thirty or forty times in the same revival. But also in that same revival, one guy who was from the exact same group of heroin addicts that all of those people were, the last service, he just waited till nobody was looking and he just kind of went over and kind of knelt down with his head against the wall 
just kind of on the side of the wall right there and uh, was down there like 10 seconds and then he just took a deep breath and got a big smile on his face and went back to his chair. And he only prayed less than 15 seconds. No tear was shed. No audible words were spoken. And all of these other people that got saved all week long, screaming and crying and pulling their hair, rolling on the ground and people patting on them and spitting on them and all of that. The church acknowledged those salvations all through the whole revival. This person got saved last night. This person got saved last night. And then when that boy prayed that last service, on the way out, it was certain revival was over. I was going to get my stuff and get in my car and drive back to Oklahoma. And I actually heard one of the elders of the church say, I wish he would have stayed down there longer and really got it. My problem is, and I'm a smart aleck and I'm, I need to learn to control my stupid mouth. I understand. I turned around and I said, how do you know he didn't get it? You don't know. I don't know. And they said, well, yeah, yeah, well, maybe I'm okay. But... So we had a conversation, and everybody agreed that maybe did, maybe didn't, and we don't know. We may never know. That was, and then I got my car and left. But the fact that a part of the leadership of the church, a part of the leadership of the church was willing to say out loud in front of other church members, uh, I wish, basically, what follow-up. Uh, brother pastor likes to quote Paul Harvey. I'll tell you the rest of the story. This is now probably going on about three years later. Okay. There's probably 45 people, maybe 40 people. I don't know. Got saved in that revival. Most of them were drug addicts and stuff. Okay. There's three of them that I know of that are still in church. And I mean, they're all really good. They've cleaned up. They live right. They're faithful. They, they, they left their whole life, old life behind them. They, and he's one of them. And a whole bunch of those people that they were celebrating because they screamed and cried and rolled and all that didn't make it. But the one they thought didn't even get it is doing great years later. So that's our fault. That's our fault for A, not teaching it right, and B, not demanding to be taught right. So that's, that's the biggest one. The, the, the second one is... Um, our fellowship. You know, I've, I've had this conversation with lots of people. We all have groups in our fellowship. And I'll just say this. I mean, it's not like people don't already know what I'm probably going to say anyway. But we, most of the churches that y'all fellowship, let me put it that way, okay? I'm just going to throw y'all under the bus. Most of the churches that y'all fellowship have knuckleheads in there that call themselves preachers, that most of our pastors if they come through the area, they're going to feel like they need to preach them. That's ridiculous. That's insane. Just, I mean, literally, if you know that guy has been a loose cannon or has been a problem or has hurt a bunch of people in the last 20 years all over the country, you're going to put him in the pulpit. Shame on you. Why don't you just slap all your members on the way out? I mean, it's crazy, but that pressure is there. So if we're going to claim to be something, we're going to have to be it across the board. We have to be it in our preaching. We have to be it in our teaching. And we have to be it in our fellowship. Now, some people will say, like, I didn't know what he was going to say or I didn't know he was coming. Hey, those are your people. Those are your people. You know, I know, I know for a fact our pastor 
has had to really, really, really take some knocking around for how deep trimming back he's been willing to let people be in his pulpit. You have to do that. It has to be across the board. So number one, fellowship. Number two, it's the environment we create. We either demand it and preach it and teach it and all that, right? And and number three is it should be ultimately at some point a church that looks like this, not a church that looks like the church I was raised in or you grew up in, or you like, or you appreciate, or I've been hearing a lot of this stuff lately. People have been saying, well, this is just what I like. Well, this is just what I appreciate. Well, this is just what, what feels good to me. Nobody cares. Okay. Nobody, nobody cares when you're in the pulpit preaching God's holy word, teaching true biblical doctrines, what feels good to you or what you like. Or what you preach? If can you imagine? Can y'all imagine if every time Pastor let me preach in this pulpit, I preach to you what I like? That doesn't make any sense. That's not. And and believe it or not, the fact that we're hearing that more and more is a good thing. That means we've stirred and shook up a lot of the the old standard traditions locked in part of the system built in, cooked into the cake. We've shook some of that up to where it's not just being hammered out there anymore. Now they're, well, it, I, I, you're right. It's not, it's just what I like. So they're kind of sidestepping. Well, good. Keep stepping until you're just going to preach the truth. <laughs> Cause that's what we're waiting for. Right? So it's, it's a lot of environment and we ain't going to fix this here at Bethany at, at, uh, any church, nobody that is struggling with these things are going to fix these things in 2019 <laughs> because it's 30, 40 years worth of environmental indoctrination. But if, but if everybody, every single person from the top all the way down, the floor sweeper, the Sunday school teacher, the deacon, the, the, the pastor, the, the, the wife, the mom, the dad, the kid, if everybody that understands more and more begins to create that environment where somebody could get saved in 10 seconds if Jesus did it. Somebody could get saved after coming to church 52 times and then getting it if you know, there's, there's so much of that uncomfortableness that you're, you're talking about. It, it's just made up. We just made it up. If you think about Christ and Paul and Peter and the book of Acts and, and, and where, the, where the church was in 1905 and where it was in 1930, if you think about those environments and you really don't understand what you're thinking about Tons of people would be able to walk into those environments, feel comfortable and and want to be there and know they're a sinner and be convicted of their sin and love the people and realize the people love them back and be looking for a place to get right. And then that opportunity finally opens up for them and they finally get saved. And nobody knows exactly the second they got saved because we didn't dogpile them and then pick them back up and say they're saved afterwards. But it just somehow it just happened. And, and the, you know, they're not our trophy. They're just a new member. And, and it just it develops, it develops, it develops. Those environments were like that. 
Somehow, somewhere, some way, churches in the last 40, 50, 60 years begin to develop additions to the environment to where it's not like that. You know, you think about it. Even in a, even in a place like where we go to church, you know, so if, if a total outsider, everybody in this room, think about this. If somebody that nobody here knows walked into our service at 1120 Sunday morning, right in the middle of the preaching, we wouldn't, we can pretend all we want. We wouldn't be like, oh, cool, another person, all right. Amen, amen. Come on, preacher. Preach, pastor. It's not enough. We'd be like, who's that guy? What? What's what's the is, is is Brother Todd here? Does he see him? Yeah. <laughs> I hope they make him raise his hand before he comes and prays. <laughs> Why? We're a church. What if he comes at eleven twenty? Nobody knows him from Adam. Pastor preaches. Pastor gives the altar call. He just kind of sits down there and bows his head. And then he's up and he's done way before we are. And then he leaves. As a general rule, I mean, be honest with ourselves, we don't, that's not a victory. We didn't, we didn't win. We didn't accomplish that. We didn't receive him. We didn't, half the time, we never even talked to him. He just left. He came and he sat and he left. We have no idea what's happening there. We have no idea what's happening there. It's because it doesn't match our system. If that's the case, then we need to broaden our system. Now, everybody gets scared. Well, broaden it to what? Are we going worldly? Are we going? Listen, if it's worldly to be more Jesus-like, call me worldly. I don't care. We, We have to match Christ. We have to be strict. See, some of y'all went, what? We have to be strict. As strict as we can, we have to be strict followers of Jesus. We have to strictly produce Jesus ministry. Everywhere we're not, it should be questioned at some point. Not attacked, not fought over, but questioned, dealt with. Moved around from the leadership down. Anything that is Christ-like, if you touch it, I'll fight you. Anything that's not Christ-like, if you don't touch it, eventually I might fight you. If we get around to it. Because it's killing people. Or it's not even letting people live. It used to be more about running off our youth. And we've all had that conversation. But it's also about never even allowing all of God's other children in. So the environment, the environment has to change. And as far as the, it being the, the visiting person that did it, you know, you can't control all of that. You don't know who's going to come. But to be fair, those are the kind of people we fellowshiped. Those are the kind of people we preached. Those are the kind of people we were like. And they're not going to just disappear just because all of a sudden one day we decide we're not like that anymore. somebody to to pull that guy aside? I've done it in our church. You know, I, 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 
in a way I wish that would happen, not for his embarrassment, but no. not that I cared that they you know, they make fun of me for the next five years. That's that that's not the point. No. But here is the point. So that's been in my mind all this time. A year this is probably a year ago, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Guy I I'd worked with him for a long not worked with him, but I mean I knew him. Sure. Him and one of his buddies was working with him. I don't know what had happened to his buddy the night before he was all shook up and they were both thinking about their souls. And, and, and I mean, the door opened. I got to speak into both of them's life for a good little while, and they received it. And they were going to go to church somewhere. Sure. I mean, that, we're going to get in the morning, we're going to go. But when it came right down to it, I chickened out. Yeah. And I didn't invite them. Because they were so, man, this is, I don't know how to say this, they were so far removed from what I know as church. Sure. I, I didn't think they would understand if they... I mean, they'd understand the gospel, but would they understand the, the process? Right. Would they know? I mean, would, if you came down to that, raise your hand, we'll all look at you. Are they going to be comfortable or are they going to... I chickened out. I'll, I'll own that. Sure. Sure. But how do I help affect change? I can, I can tell you a story, and... Uh, it's it's not one of those things where you just go down, you grab them by the nap of the neck, and you set them straight and all that. I mean, that's that's just as ridiculous. That's just one end of the spectrum of the other. But we had a service at our church, and there was a visiting young minister there. And um, we had uh, our homeless people were in this regular service. And uh, somebody went down to the, to the altar and was praying uh, by themselves during the preaching. And the preacher never stopped. I don't remember who was preaching or whatever, but we just kept on having church, but we had this person down there. Well, that visiting young minister, boy, he came out of the pew just, ah, just, you know, hollering like a, a wild man and shaking and and uh, just feeling God and everything and, and went right after that person at the altar. And just as he got to that person at the altar, I got to him. And I just put my arm around him and, Pulled him up to me and just was, you know, patting him on the back and saying, go ahead on, brother, go ahead. You know, and he he stopped speaking in tongues and he opened his eyes and he looked at me and like like I was doing him wrong or something, maybe. And uh, I just said, uh, leave that person alone and I'll explain it to you after service. And so he went and did something else. And then after church, I just told him, I said, man, I'm sure you were feeling God and I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe i quench the spirit. I don't know. I don't mean to stop the Holy Ghost. You know, that's the last thing I want to do, but I've got years invested in that person. Years. A lot of money. Scars (laughs) invested in that person. And it would have been very easy because they know nothing for you to just scare them out of their ever-loving mind. And so I, I didn't want you destroying all my work (laughs) i'm being honest and you know what the lord's doing in their life and i didn't want that on you i didn't want you killing that person and then going back to wherever you're from and then all around here you're known as the guy that killed that person you know trying to help (laughs) so and and, and it's no it's no secret i mean there's folks that go to our church if they if they see me walking across that platform in the middle of a service sometimes and they think they might be over the top doing something, they'll kind of think about it and check themselves. I'm not trying to police the service, but 
if if we got people down there that but Daryl and Sister April has stayed up and not hardly got any sleep all week long dealing with them way up into the middle of the night and or people that you know I've been dealing with and their family and preached their grandparents' funerals in the last ten years or or some person that come out of the jails that half half the people that preach in the jails are are all emotionally and spiritually and physically and mentally <laughs> tied up into and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna protect them i'm i'm sorry i don't i don't know what that exactly sounds like but i'm gonna because our environment is not there yet how much of that lack of that that growth in that environment stems from a true love of souls Well, I would answer that this way, and you could dissect it different ways, but let's say if, and I believe it's true, but I can't prove it, let's say if you have the ability to have 100% love, 100 love, whatever that is, all of your love that you can produce, okay, and if a percentage of that, your love that you can produce is towards whatever, sports or something. And another percentage of that is towards the holiness standard as man has developed it. And a percentage of that is towards your your near worship of your home church or your home pastor or your whatever more than just truth and, and Christ. Once you start getting percentages of, of your love, there's only so much left to love souls. And I'm not a fool. I understand this is the real world and we have to pay our bills and we have to work and we love our wives. And we love our children. And, and you know, in, in the fairy tale land, we could say, oh, I, you know, I've got more love. I've got more love to go around. I love everybody the same and I love everything. That, that's wonderful. But you only have so much effort in your body. And if you do love some things more than just purely loving kingdom growth, gospel truth, Jesus life then that's weaker that's weaker that's a weaker environment than people that have more of their love invested in truth gospel Christ and that's that's our job as a Christian is to keep killing ourselves more and more and more our job as a Christian is to die more and more and more and more what I like doesn't matter. What I want doesn't matter. What I prefer doesn't matter. What I have to empty myself so more of Christ could be there. And the more each individual that goes to any church does that, the more Christ-like that environment becomes. Brother Todd. Oh, sorry. I said the name again. I mean you, back there in the hat. <laughs> he says, never mind. Okay, not you, the other guy.
people come back there. But you know, Casey, couldn't I tell that I was just trying to be respectful and just, you know, just get down to praise? I wasn't praying. I don't want nobody back there beating on me. That's, that's a hard question. It's hard for me to answer that. Yeah. But I responded with, I said, well, would you, would you rather be where we, we don't even talk to you? Because then you would feel like that we didn't love you and you, we weren't there to try to help you. I mean, and he has a history, okay? Sure. He was raised in this. And a lot of these old things that we're talking about, these old stuff that down your throat tactics that's been used over the years, yeah. what's made you so sore to religion in general. You don't, you don't care for it. But that's one instance. The other instance comes from, from one of my neighbors that, like, he, he knows nothing. He moved here from California. Sure. And there and there's some of that that is cultural. There's no doubt about it. You know, I uh, I'm not saying it's just exactly the way things need to be geared toward, but you know, some of the guys that I came across as I evangelized became my heroes because they found that that level place. Melvin Duke, I don't know if a lot of you knew Melvin Duke, he pastored Bristol for years and years. Um, Brother Carl Page, actually my uncle. Um, th- there was guys, uh, Leon Farley, some of those guys. They just created an environment where they told the truth. They were excited about telling the truth. They were happy to be there. They loved everybody. They wanted everybody to get a chance at this. And, you know, I, I, I love that environment. David Lamb is incredible at having an environment like that. And David Lamb is a screaming, yelling, spitting preacher sometimes. But, but there's that place. All of that's fine. The cultural's fine. The difference in Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal, Nazarene, Baptist, that's all fine. I have no problem with any of that. The problem I have that I think you're dealing with some, you dealt with some, 
is the fact that we've got it so well tuned in our mind that we're literally trying to orchestrate a happening. It's what we do. We're so, it's almost like we've gone so long without a lot of souls getting saved and so long without a really high service that as soon as it looks like we can maybe getting down there, we start, and the, the smaller the church is, the, the more horribly they fall into this. And I consider us a very small church because, you know, as far as churches go, we're a very small church. Not in our movement, but uh, from from our size and even a little bigger than us down, it's really hard because you got the same handful of people up on that platform playing that music, singing those songs, and run and and preaching those sermons every single time, and and they get to where, they, and I haven't picked on my pastor at all yet tonight. I'm going to hear for just a second, but because I've I've done it, he's done it, we've all done it, and and I know he's battled it. I battled it in my mind for a long time. Sometimes I just had to forget it and walk away and come back to it later. But we, we know what it's supposed to feel like right now. We're 45 minutes into a Sunday night service in January. This is supposed to look a certain way, feel a certain way, and sound a certain way. And if it's not, something in us starts trying to drive it to that. I wish you all would help me preach right now. I'm really preaching whether you're going to say I'm preaching or not. If you don't say amen, I'm... and and. In, 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 in six more minutes, I need sister so-and-so to see. Yeah, well, <laughs> in, in, it's, it's hard to do this when he's right there because he's my main example. <laughs> in, 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 in six more minutes, sister so-and-so needs to sing this particular song. And if brother so-and-so doesn't shout, it'll be the first time he hasn't done it on this song since 1976. And we, 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 we try to... And uh, this will ruin a bunch of you. Oh, geez, I don't want to ruin you guys. This will probably make you worse for a while, but eventually, hopefully, it'll make you better. When you're in a service and you can feel that and see that, that, that manipulating of the service, that orchestrating of, a, of an incident, there's a lost person in the back, and I'm going to tell you there's a lost person in the back. And, and when it's time to, to go towards that lost person, I, I'm going to send you towards that lost person, and, and we're going to do this for that lost person. And that's dangerous to me. I'm just being honest. That's dangerous. The Holy Ghost does what the Holy Ghost does, and it's up to us to be prayed through and studied up and, and ready to respond. Now, I know what in holiness Pentecostal people, I know how we are. Our response to that is, like, instead of going back and beating on him and going back and not, you, well, just wait for the Spirit. Just follow the Spirit. We can't quench the Spirit. Do I got to be honest. I've had people come to me and say, you know, we just need to let whoever's in the Spirit do whatever in the Spirit. And I always say, no. And one person, even in my home church, actually asked me, so why not? And I said, because I don't know what spirit you're of. I've, I've seen you do good things. I've seen you do bad things. I don't know which one you're doing this time. <laughs> so just saying it was the Spirit's not good enough for me. Because there's this. Pastor, I'm going to make a statement. I want you to honestly correct me if you think I'm wrong, okay? I know people don't believe this. In, in many situations in my ministry, I found this trumps Spirit. I know that 
people aren't going to like that. But let me explain. Okay. The word and the spirit of God agree a hundred percent always. Okay. But you can be in the spirit. 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 And you could all do something totally opposing of each other. And nobody knows which one was the real one or the right one. Or if any of them were wrong ones. This just says what it says. That's it. I would rather create an environment out of this and have the spirit move than just have people that are more and more and more and more spiritual, more and more and more religious, more and more and more, and let them follow the spirit because we're getting all kinds of trouble with that. And those... How do you know if it is the spirit moving somebody? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm making a point. Right. How we know is if it lines up with this. Yes. Right. You know, people have said silly things like, I don't care what the word says. I feel like the spirit wants me to do such and such. Exactly. And that's not, you know, our, our only guideline is, the, is what the word of God said. And if it doesn't, right. if that doesn't line up, I mean, we're hearing things. In this Bible study, that obviously, you know, somebody was moved and thought they was moved, being moved by the Spirit, and, and it wasn't. <clears throat> and I'll be the first to acknowledge I have missed it a lot of times. We're. Uh, even at times I thought I was spiritual and, and later realized it didn't. It, it may not have been harmoniously with the Word. And, you know, we're, we're and I'm, I'm acknowledging it because I think we all should. We're, we're, all, we're all capable of being there. I had a conversation with somebody recently and they was asking me, well, why? Why does my spirit not, you know, why does it not, you know, somebody else, they feel like the their spirit lines up with it. it what else are we going to go by? Yours, mine, you right. know, and, and you used the term earlier, it's what, what we like. And if you if you really, really like something, I mean, we there, there is the spirit of God and then there's our spirit. Sure. And when, when my spirit is grieved, I'm, I'm not talking about the spirit, I'm right. talking about... When sure. my spirit's grieved, it affects how I think about. That's right. What some you know what somebody else is doing or saying or, you know because it's not it's not what I like. Right. <clears throat> and, and we do we're we're spirit soul and body, and that part of us has to you know it has to line up to what the word says. Otherwise, we're all just doing our own thing and you know messing people up and messing with people's lives and confusing people and and then and then it all ends up even though we think we're spiritual we end up being confused ourselves. Yeah. You know, we talk about the only way we'll know if it's the spirit of God or not is by the word and that's true. There has to be a constant. And you know, I heard a, a preacher some years ago make the statement that I'd rather spend if I'd only had two hours, I'd rather spend two hours in prayer than two hours in in the Word. And uh, I absolutely disagreed with that, and I thought it was obvious to disagree with it, and I'd like to got 
killed over it and, and uh, run out of that state for it. But I know lots of people, they pray hours and hours and hours, and then they get up and they still act like an idiot. I, I mean, it just prayer by itself doesn't always do everything it needs to do. We have to pray. We ought to pray always. But you can pray amiss. If you can pray amiss for a minute, you can pray amiss for an hour. How, how do we know how to pray? The Word. And that's, and there are so many examples. The, the Word teaches us how to pray. If we're not praying like the Word, our praying's in vain. And if you go back to those spiritual things, it, you know, the, we're talking about the Spirit. What I was in the Spirit, you know, they were in the Spirit when they went back to those people. They were in the Spirit when they went back to that guy. Maybe not. <laughs> Probably not because of the Word. If you go look at the Word Spirit and draw. Spirit drawing. That's all over in the Bible. The Spirit of God draws you, it tells us. Lest the Spirit draw you. The Spirit is a drawing Spirit. Everywhere Jesus went, they came to Him. Jesus showed up on the shores of, of the Gadareans, and, and even the devils were drawn to Him. He didn't go after that guy. That guy went after Him. So the Spirit draws, Spirit draws, Spirit draws. That's the Word. Okay? We talked about everywhere Jesus went, a crowd came. The Spirit draws. That's the Word, okay? So if I went back to you in the Spirit and ran you off, it's not the Spirit. Not unless you got some special one that's not in the Word. I thought it kind of goes a different direction. That's all right. Right. But you think of an outsider coming in, everybody looks the same, you know, everybody looks the same, dresses the same, acts the same, and then, like, I just, I think sometimes we appear like we're a club, or like, Go ahead, say I, don't, I don't know where I'm going, <laughs> that's kind of thing. Yeah, and that was very obvious. And you, was, and then just think though, you had family. Yeah, you knew this. But you it was scary. Like I know. Sunday morning, but I, I got up at like five forty-five <laughs> to be at church at ten o'clock because I went like I went down my list. I was like, I gotta have this. I gotta See, this. Let me get right back to And if you wouldn't have had enough background to know what list to check off, you would have left and we wouldn't have you right now. She would never be back. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. Okay, so everybody looks the same. You know, that you come in and everybody looks the same, dresses the same, whatever. And then testimonies, prayer requests. Yeah. And we're talking about old brother so-and-so and yeah. using old stories. Sometimes I'm sitting there like, I don't even know who you're talking about. And I've been in here for however many years. Yeah. And so somebody that's already feeling like, and then they're talking about things that I have no idea who they're talking about, what they're talking I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, and that's everything. That's that's across the board. I mean, right. anybody that stands up is, is prone to say, sure. you know, and I'm just like, I just think from the outside sometimes if you tried to come in, it would just be like, this is a little club and I don't think I belong here. Do you know what we are talking about is exactly why nobody wants to deal with this stuff. 
Because it is so intricate, it is so complicated, it is so interwoven that it is a whole lot better just to leave it alone. My problem is, and y'all know me, I, I threw myself under the bus a long time ago. I lost it all for this. Uh, my problem with that is twofold. Number one, we're going to lose the next generation of holiness kids anyway. We always do if we don't do something. And number two, how am I going to answer to God when I get to eternity when I was surrounded by all of these people, we could have won, but we weren't set up to do it. And we didn't do anything about it. You know what? My wife and I talked about that. I'm not trying to embarrass you. Right after you got saved, probably three weeks after you got saved, I looked at my wife and I said, I'm, I'm worried about her. Because she, she lined up so fast. Yes. Like, I was so happy, and then it was like, all of a sudden, it was like this burden. It was like, okay, my hair has to be up to this degree. My skirt has to hit this length. My sleeves have to hit this length. But when I go here, it can be this, this, and this. But if I go over here, it can't be this, this, and this. Where, where do I fit? Where yeah. do I feel comfortable? And then it's trying to migrate. But if you say this to this person... Well, your church, they fellowship with these people. So you guys are more Baptist than you even are Pentecostal. So do you even have what you think you have? And then on top of this, you're like, I got saved two weeks ago. I got the Holy Ghost two weeks later. I don't know what I got to do. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is it's great and it's working for me. Yeah. Is, is this all this confusion and stuff threatening out not why probably we're not getting babies right now? <laughs> Whoa, how, where in the world did you get that from? <laughs> Who in the world brought that up? Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, slow down. My goodness, all of a sudden everybody's... Here... <laughs> let alone, yeah, let alone if the spirit starts yeah. moving, people start shouting, speaking in tongues. You go to work on Monday morning, and you're like, "Here's a here's a lot of the answer." Okay, here's a lot of the answer. Number one, what God convicts you of, if you live, He will draw people through that, because holiness is attractive to humanity. What God convicts you of, if you live that, he will draw people through that. The problem is, so many of us are not living just what God convicted us of or just what's in the word that we found. We're all living what we think Brother Daryl likes and what Sister April says and what our mom told us we had to do and what our, what our, what, what, our, our family name in the area amongst the fellowshipping churches and all of that. Okay, so... Are, we, are you all going to wear dresses? Of course you are, because if you remember back to the original podcast, the Bible is very specific about the two-sex society. Okay, we've dealt with all of that. But the thing of it is, it's, it's getting the culture so tight to not just 
all wearing dresses, but to all wearing almost the same dresses. We now at Bethany have a, a split or a triple female dress code culture. It's not a lot of different women wearing a lot of different modest dresses. That is not what we have. We're more like that now than we ever were before. But there's a certain kind of denim skirt that everybody wears, and there's a certain kind of long jumper thing that they wear, and there's a certain kind of thing. And and everybody's got, and there's the jacket look thing. And, and so you're trying to figure out which one of those you fit, okay? That is not the same as everybody trying to be modest, trying to measure. We create, to the point that, I actually had somebody go to the church that I was going to after service. They'd never been there before. They went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday night. And then Tuesday, I talked to them, and they said they couldn't come back because they didn't know our language. And I, I'm thinking, what, what are you talking Okay, do you know what they did? They heard seven or eight people testify, and... One of them didn't, so 90-some percent of them said, I thought the Lord dealt with me yesterday, and I thought I was going to come on to church tonight, and I thought God was going to do this, and I, and I thought that the miracle happened, and I thought that, I thought that when God moved, I, I thought that I praised Him for it, and I thought while I was praising God, I thought that... Okay, so when we left, everybody testified that way for three nights, Okay. Or Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night. And when we left, she literally asked her husband. She said, did they think it or did it really happen? Was it like a dream? And, you know, I want you to think about this. Think about this, okay? You actually, some of you still do. Some of you aren't quite old enough yet. Some of the older ones in here would still. You feel more spiritual when you're saying it that way than if you just talk the way you talk when you're at the store or at town or at the bank or at your house. You, you feel like the spirit's rising up in you when you're like, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought. Okay? That is a culture that we created that means absolutely nothing to nothing to nothing. The more we cling to those things, the more we appear more cultic, and the less we can accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. The more we can let those things go as a society, a, a Christian society, the more somebody's hair looks a little different, somebody says their testimony a little different, somebody's skirt's a little different, somebody's uh, beard's a little different, somebody's whatever. The more that, that can be, those things can be let down, the more things can look more natural. Is all of our women not going to cut their hair? Of course they're not going to cut their hair. Is all of our women going to wear dresses? Of course they're going to wear the dresses. In the people that go to Bethany right now. Now, I'll throw this out there. If, if this church, this particular church here, continues to go down the road that they've been going down for several years, will there be a day when all the women don't cut their hair? Yes. Will there be a day, a day when all the women don't wear dresses? Yes. That bothers a lot of people. And that's why some of them are driving with the brakes on. They could see that coming and they're not about to have it. Okay. Y'all know where I stand. Y'all know what I believe. Y'all know what I teach. Not because I've screamed it at you, because I've taught it for years and years and years. Okay. But 
would people be allowed to come and fellowship and worship and praise and cook amongst us without looking exactly the tea? They would, or we're going to keep this thing closed up pretty tight. That's the truth. Okay. It doesn't make sense to me mm-hmm. to say that it's wrong right now. Like to say right now we think it's wrong for women to wear pants. Mm-hmm. But in a few years it doesn't make sense to me. The wrong doesn't change for me. I, I get that, but I but that doesn't make sense to me. Let me see if I can explain it like this. It, it may not help, it may. The Bible teaches a two sex society. Wait, just a minute. Just just a minute. Just a minute, okay? Two-sex society is plain as day, black and white, right? We know in this culture what what garments are available and why that decision has been made. It has not been taught that way, and a lot of people are doing it just because of specific man-made demands and not because of the teaching. As you go back to the teaching, what you have to do is you have to let go of trying to control everybody. If you let go of trying to control everybody, some people are going to make up their own mind and say, I love that church. I love the spirit there. I love worshiping there. I don't get the whole skirt thing like they do. I'm going to go anyway. The way we've been in the past, we're going to put pressure on you, put pressure on you. Somebody's going to bring it up and they're preaching. They're going to take a shot at you and you're going to change or leave. If we If we say, God, you have to fix this, we're going to tell the truth, preach the truth, love everybody, and this is on you, then people are going to make their own choices, and we're not going to be there to police them. It doesn't change what the doctrine is at all. Now, what about the beards thing? Well, on on that day that you made the 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 differences between the two sexes Mm -hmm. or whatever, you said, if if I were going to preach that women were to wear dresses, that's how you feel about it, then you also believe that the Bible states that men should wear beards. That's, yes. That's the, that's the difference. That I'm like, wait, I, I, I don't care. I am not wanting to start wearing pants at all. I mean, sure. that's not my issue here, but mm-hmm. I do think it can be, it, it is, and you know, it's confusing. And to me, I'm like, you know when a woman is trying to look like a man. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, I can see a woman in pants and I don't think she's trying to look like a man. You know when a woman is dressing to look like a man. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> I don't know. I, I don't and you know what modesty looks like. Yes. You know, when we were on the streets, uh, uh, when we were at Hell Station, preaching down there to the homeless people in the very beginning, there was a big falling out because we had prostitutes that were coming and praying on a regular basis. And the prostitutes wear skirts. And mostly short skirts. And uh, a skirt on the streets means access. I'm letting you know this is available. And and so they would come and they would pray and either they would get saved or they would get under conviction or something. I'm not the judge. I didn't figure it out. But they would get up and immediately they would want to go to the clothing bank and put pants on. They wanted to be closed for business. They wanted to cover up. So that at HMA was promoted. I actually would get up and and admonish them and praise them for getting convicted and for going and putting pants on. I I was like, praise God, keep coming. Closer you get to Jesus, the more he's going to help you. You're trying to be modest. God loves modesty. I promoted that, and there was a big problem over that. Modesty 
is what the Bible teaches. Separation of sexes is what the Bible teaches. The fact that we've decided we're going to figure out exactly which items we'll accept and exactly which items we won't. When you let go of that control, you're going to look what all of our fellowships call worldly. But you're going to have an... I, I, I don't know exactly where that is, and that's really not for me to say. I, I, I know this much. Every time I get behind the pulpit, every time I get behind this microphone, every time I get behind my pen, every time I get behind my computer, I'm going to produce more and more and more truth, if at all possible. And it, truth is costly. Truth is costly. It's costing me a lot. <laughs> and and but it produces so much and i've been told recently that this truth that i'm producing is ca is causing chaos and i agree in some ways when you have so radically dictated the lives of men and women it's it's going to be odd to set them free with just pure truth. You know, there's stories all down through the ages of, of people uh, being in prison for 40 years or 50 years and they let them out and they get out and they almost go stark raving crazy because they don't know how to live. They've never been outside and they want to get back in. So that's a fear of mine too. You know, I don't want to let anybody out if it's going to kill them. But this is what I told them and this is what I, I keep telling everybody else. I believe... The doctrine that I want to teach and preach is stricter than anybody's that I know, unless they're intended to strictly follow God's holy word. I want to be as strict as I possibly can to the word. If your strict, if your strictness is something besides strictness to the gospel, I, I care less what you call it. Uh, I, what you're talking about with truth, it, it always does this, you know, and Jesus personifies that, but he said, one group he was talking to, he said, don't think I came to bring peace. Right. You know, I'm going to divide you, I'm going to divide mother and daughter, I'm going to divide father and son, I'm going to divide children and parents. You know, so, oh, oh you know, Jesus is all about love and unity, but what he was talking about was the truth. Right. I'm going to be the truth, and then you're going to have to decide. Mm -hmm. What's hilarious about that to me is we are living exactly what Christ did as far as the, the modern church that's trying to be as right as they can be. Because Jesus loved and drew all lost people. And he had fights and arguments with all the religious people. And here we are begging for scripture and truth and teaching and gospel. And it looks like it's going to create this environment where more and more lost people can come in and be loved. But it's making religious people mad. <laughs> it's the exact same storyline. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I have one question. Only one? I, yeah. I heard somebody say something about how when we get to heaven, there's going to be all different types of people that led different lives. So... Why do we do what we do if you can get to heaven doing it the other way? Like, but I also know that the Bible says that the more you know, the more accountable you are. So is it because we've created our own salvation and he's giving us convictions 
So if we ignore that conviction, we're held to a higher standard? I'm, I'm not sure what other ways you can live and get to heaven, per se. We'll end on this one. It's getting really, really late. I know a lot of people have to go. It does make sense. Let me explain something, though. Using the purity of the, of the word, okay? What you have to do to go to heaven is the same for everybody. You have to confess your sin. Jesus has to forgive you. You have to be saved and maintain your relationship with Christ. And you can look at the thief on the cross, okay? He was saved probably minutes before he died and went to heaven. There are different circumstances. You quoted some of the scripture there about the different amounts of knowledge. Nobody's going to be held accountable for what they don't know. And you are going to be accountable for everything you do know. But I want to show you something. I'm going to show you a spin on this, okay? It's always the same where we're like, well, we all live holiness, and yet there'll be Baptist people there, and there'll be Nazarene people there that didn't live nowhere near as much as we did. I know some Nazarenes, some Baptists, some Presbyterians, some, some Catholics, some, some I, I mean, all different kinds of people. And a lot of them say the same thing about us. They say, look, we don't cultisize our religion. We don't lock our people up in this little prison of this perfect little thing to look like. And, you know, we don't do all of that. They don't live near as much of the gospel as we do. They're not feeding the hungry children. They're not... Um, going out and, and, and creating orphanages and, and visiting widows and 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 they're not so they name all the things they're doing right that we're doing wrong and they say but I guess there's going to be some holiness people in heaven too right <laughs> so so as as a group we have some flaws and so do they as a group we're doing some things right, and so are they. And I believe, as individuals, some of us are trying to get more right, and some of them are trying to get more right. And every single one of them that confess their sins and the blood of Jesus Christ was applied unto salvation, and they live their life according to the life of Christ the best they know how, every one of them is going to go to heaven. There's no other way to go to heaven but through Jesus. We've got some modesty things more right than a lot of people. We've got the understanding of the workings of the Spirit of God more right than some other people. We have gotten it very, very wrong on how to have family and community and outreach and a lot of things that we're just now getting it from some of those other groups. So it's not for us to compare ourselves to other people. It's for us to be everything we possibly can in Christ as an individual. And then and there's going to be somebody from everywhere that gets to go. And there's going to be probably somebody from everywhere that doesn't get to go. If, if they cling to the components that they have that are wrong, they'll probably go to hell. If they cling to the components they have it a right and try to build on it, I'm sure they'll go to heaven. Yeah, and the Bible says that there will be, be, be a number that no man can number. That's right. Either, so. That's right. And it's a, 
That's right. And it's the same thing about us if we flip that around. If we cling to any components that are wrong, we'll probably go to hell. If we cling to all the components that are right and try to build on that, we'll go to heaven. I know you want to shift this. Go ahead. Can I speak? Absolutely. Um, what, what I like to do, sister, is look at it as the cross or, or Jesus. And hopefully everybody from where they're coming from is going toward him. And so we, we all come from, you know, from, from what we know. You've been taught all your life that blue is blue and red is red. And, what, you know, and somebody else has been told it's something else. That's, that's their worldview. That's what they base truth on. But yet, when we come to the knowledge of Christ, there's a higher truth. So wherever these people are coming from, if they're coming from a from a, a Muslim background, or you know, we don't understand their culture, we don't understand what they already know and believe is truth. But you know, obviously, you've got a lot of family, so you've been influenced by some things, as as we all have. But I'm trying to learn in my process. I'm trying to go toward Christ, and if somebody from way over here and and you know that that their culture and and their idea of truth for their whole life has been something else if I'm over here and I'm going toward Christ and they're over here and they're going toward Christ and, and obviously sometimes we really give the Catholic people down the road but we wouldn't even have this good Bible right here if it wasn't for the Catholics but some of them in their in their uh, in their pursuit of Christ understood what what God wanted to do through faith in their life and so they they made that that place that, that's the reason I keep saying you hear me say the church, the, the process is, is as important as the destination. And somebody may be way over here and say, well, how, how can they, you know, I'm, I'm taught over here this is true. If they're coming toward Christ, they'll all get there. And, and what all of us need to be mature enough to understand, even if it's people has been raised like we have, if it takes a week, if it takes a year, if it takes five years, whatever it takes for that person to complete the process, that Christ is trying to do in their life. We ought to be spiritually mature enough to stand back and let, let God do that in their life. And and let them, let them get there. I'm, I don't sit here and, and act like that I have all truth and I know all truth and I know it all and I can't learn anything else. I've learned some things tonight. There were some scriptures I was wanting to, wanting to comment on, but we kind of went a little different direction. But I've, I've been open and enlightened on some things. And when, when people get to the place... I don't care how old they are, how long they've been saved, how much confidence we have in them. If they come to the place they feel like they know it all, they've learned it all, and they don't have anything else to learn, they've arrived, they're, they're, in, they're in, yeah. in, in trouble. That's right. That's right. It's a learning process. So obviously you're going to fail. Right. You're going to stumble. You're not going to make every right decision. Sure. So how do I know if, you know, God forbid, I stumble, but die and I didn't realize. No, that's a walk by faith. Mm -hmm. by faith. You are going to stumble at times. We, we, we all do, but we don't, we don't quit. That's still part of the journey. We, we keep going toward Christ. And another thing I want to say about, about the churches, this is what I like to like to think about how I believe and like. And, you know, I, if I feel like that God has enlightened me on some truth, our, our church, our little church, you said, you know, our little group, few people we know, 
we are part of a great big body. We're part of the body of Christ. Right. And there may be some areas over here in our body where we're really excelling. And, and if we are, praise God for what we got right. Yeah. But over here, and uh, Pastor Todd's already mentioned some of them, there's some things that I realize, I mean, we talk about Catholics a lot, but when it comes to abortion, when it comes to other family issues, building hospitals, I mean, they, they're way further out than we are. But I would like to think that other people can affect the body of Christ. And if I don't think I've already attained and I know it all and I've learned it all, I would like to think that that what I do and, and the revelation that God's given me and the life I'm living out, and praise God, I'm happy about it, that I'm going to affect the overall body of Christ in a good way. And the other things that, that they may not be excelling on that we are, if we're not so close-minded, we can look and say, God's using them to affect the body. And I can learn from that and glean from that and, and make me better. Yep. All of us should be trying to be better. You know, the, the evangelicals have finally gotten on board with uh, fighting abortion a little bit, and that's a big deal amongst our churches. We finally feel like we're, we're making some progress. There is no fight against abortion in America except the Catholic Church basically paid for that battle to exist for about the last 50 years, millions and millions and millions of dollars to create a spot for us to be able to fight for that now. Another point about what you were talking about and what he's talking about, what we closed on a piece of property today at the bank. Our banker is a very conservative, down-home country, Oklahoma, good old blue-blooded American, you know, Christian, and uh, him and his grandma and his grandpa were going down today to finally register as Republicans, they finally had enough. They've been Democrats their whole life. And and so so here here we got these super conservative voting for all the right things, Democrats. And somebody's gonna say, Well, how can how can Democrats be right if they're not Republicans? You know, and that goes back to, you know, the direction. Go ahead. a little illustration with the point that what you started out about the church hmm? I'll, I'll save my scriptures for later but this is an illustration <laughs> about, about being ready for you know to receive hmm? babes yesterday we 
Brother James and Brother Trevor went with me, and there was a lot of holiness people at the state capitol. We were up there for that abortion thing that Bill and Brother Olson was trying to get through. And there was a lot of holiness people, and there was a lot of a lot of other people that's not holiness. That you know, we were we split up, and we were seeing three different representatives, so everybody wouldn't be going in the same offices. And I don't know, first or second office our group went into. There was a young man there. I forgot what what district he was from, but he said. He said, y'all got a minute? He said, come in here in my office, I want to tell you something. And so we're like, yeah, we do. So we went in his office, we sat down, he said, he said, uh, I'm, I'm for this bill. And he said, I'm, I'm gonna do all I can. He said, he said, uh, I was adopted. He said, uh, my, my birth mother was, you know, gonna have an abortion because she didn't think she could take care of this child. Anyway, worked it all out. I mean, he was just like, I'm the one that personifies this, you know. And he said, so they went through the adoption. He said, I've had great parents. I've got scholarships. Now I'm a state rep. It's been a great life. He said, after uh, my parents adopted me, he said, then my mom got pregnant. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like, you know, they, they prepared, they adopted a child, mm -hmm. and then they started. They had three more children. He's, that's my mom and dad. They're my brothers and sisters. And I, I thought about that tonight when we were talking about this. If we if we prepare for babies, and God's going to give us babies, I really believe that. I really love that illustration. Mighty God in heaven, Lord, we thank you and love you and praise you, worship you, glorify your holy name. God, you're so good to us. We're so thankful for your word, your Bible truths that never change, the power of your spirit in us as we read and study and strive to do our best and do our part. Lord, we want to be a part of the bride of Christ. We hunger and desire for souls. We understand there's, there's other elements involved, but God, we make no excuses. And God, I, I take my part in any time that I didn't do more or push harder or made a mistake. And I just pray that as we work through these things, these Bible studies and have these conversations, I don't want anyone to get hurt. I want people to get help. Uh, we're not broadcasting things that we think we absolutely know more than anybody else. But we've been asked over and over and over to have these conversations. We're willing to have them, but we, we give them to you. We surrender them to you that the answers and the outcomes match your word and your will. We give you praise and glory and honor for all the technology, for the finances that have been provided, for everybody that's come, everybody that gets to listen. God, you get all the glory in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.
Just to try. 